Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining with us for this week's podcast. As per usual, before we begin our time together, I just want to take a moment, let you know what's happening in this episode. This week, our speaker is Dr. Rick Strangway, and he's continuing in our series, Moses the Hesitant Leader. Rick is part of our church family at Southview, and he's also the Associate Professor of Pastoral Theology at Ambrose University. The best way to know what's going on at Southview is by checking out our weekly viewpoint. And you can find a link to our viewpoint in the episode description of this podcast, or you can go on Realm and join the group Southview Family Updates, and that'll make sure that you're always getting the weekly viewpoint in your inbox. And if you're new with us here in this digital space, we would love to hear from you. You can find an online connection card at the bottom of the viewpoint, along with a prayer request form so that we can support and join you in prayer. Additionally, you can always find us on Instagram and Facebook. But now today, no matter how you're joining with us, may each of our hearts be open and expectant because God is here and Jesus invites us to bring all that we are and all that we're currently carrying to him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, let's seek the face of God together. Well, Southview family, it's a joy to be with you again this weekend. It's a real privilege to be able to participate in the, in the living word that speaks to each of us. Whether we're someone who's just new to the journey, someone who's considering the journey, or someone who's been deep and long in the journey, we live in a wonderful and a beautiful story. It's a story of grace and redemption, a story of rescue and deliverance. It's a story of patience and perseverance. It's a story of faith and trust. It's a story of surrender and beauty that comes through that surrender. It's a story that again and again calls people like you and I, people who are fairly ordinary, people who maybe don't have too much to their name or too much in their bank account or too much to whatever, into this story and consistently invited deeper and deeper again. But it's a story that not only we live in, but it's a story that lives within us. And the deeper that story gets into us, the more we reflect the beauty and the one that we follow, Jesus the Christ, the ascended one, who now lives and abides with us through his spirit. What a good and beautiful story that we live in. In the Old Testament where we are this month, in the life of a man by the name of, of, of Moses, we, we reflect on the scriptures in the Old Testament for several reasons. To understand who God is and to understand this story, but in a very certain way, we, we reflect on the Old Testament stories so that we can get to these origins or what we might call the foundation stories of our faith. We come back again and again, whether we're 15 years old or 58 years old or whatever it would be, we come back to these Old Testament stories like Moses because we want to familiarize ourselves with the way to live and act and trust and walk and surrender and trust God in new and fresh ways. We want it to be a part of us in our everyday going. And in fact, the Old Testament is written in a way, it's designed to use words and images so that we come back, whether we're in an exilic period where the prophets are speaking or in, in the time of the kings or whether we're in those first several books of the Old Testament, we see certain words or ideas and concepts and they're familiar words if we're in it long enough. We see that high places are places where often great women and men meet with God. And God, the God of the heavens, the God who comes down and meets the sacred place is often the high place, a mountain. 
Often the wilderness or the desert is another place that we find ourselves reflecting on. And so when someone finds themselves in the wilderness or in a quiet place or an extended place, there's often something that they're about to learn or maybe be exposed or something in their story. And if we're attentive enough to what the Spirit may be saying to us, we can enter in and we can listen to what's happening in our own story and imagine ourselves or imagine the reality of something beginning to come to the surface as Jesus begins to speak. We look at the life of Moses, and there is a mountain, and there is a wilderness that we're about to pause and look at. And the invitation is simply this. Not only that we would look at and remember and think about and ponder, like the, like the writer of Psalm chapter 1 invites us to do again and again to meditate on the law, but that we would allow the living God to speak to us that there'd be a softness within us that would rise to the surface. And so, as Pastor Devin last week so wonderfully introduced us into the story of the man who's the hesitant leader, Moses, we begin in chapter 3 today, verse 7, and we read several words of Scripture. I'm going to read part of chapter 3, and then I'll jump to verse 1 of chapter 4, where we can pick up the rest of the story. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 7, we hear the story is picked up in this way. And the Lord said to Moses, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt, and I've heard them crying out because of the slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering, so I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up of, out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way that the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, Moses, go. Go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that, is, that it is I who have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt. You will worship God on this mountain. And Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of our fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? Verse 14, significant verse for us to ponder and reflect upon. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And this is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. And this is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. Over to chapter 4, verse 1. And Moses said, what if they do not believe me? Or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you. And then the Lord said this, what is in your hand, Moses? A staff, he replied. And the Lord said, throw it to the ground. And Moses threw it to the ground and it became a snake. And he ran from it. And the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and turned it back. And it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, verse 5, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, 
the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. And then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, the skin was leprous. It had become as white as snow. Now put it back into your cloak. And so Moses put his hand back into his cloak. And when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. And the Lord said, if they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile, a third sign, and pour it on the ground. And the water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. And Moses said to the Lord, a fourth time he speaks to the Lord here, pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you've been speaking to your servant. I am slow in speech and of tongue. And the Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths and who makes them deaf or mute and who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, go. I will help you speak and I will teach you what to say. And one last time, Moses says, please, Lord, please send somebody else. The Exodus story begins deep in a land far, far away. But it's a land of slavery and oppression to the people that are the descendants three different times we heard about. The descendants of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. It's the continuation of the Genesis story. And through that story we find in chapter 2, and we heard about it last week through Pastor Devin, we find that there this God responds to the cry and the need and, and, the, and, and, and the oppression that was upon those people. And he calls one out from the tribe of Levites. Now, you and I, maybe at this point of the story, might not pick up on that necessarily. Some of us will. But the tribe of the Levites would eventually become the priests, the intermediaries, the, the, the mediators, the ones who would bring the offerings of the people to God, and there they would offer to God, and then they would bring, in a sense, the atonement of God to the people. They would act as ones who would operate in the midst of the people, bringing what God would, would give to them, forgiveness and grace and reconciliation, and what the people would offer to God in worship and praise. Others who later would reflect on this story would pick that up. That this one who would be called by God, this one who would become a rescuer, a deliverer, this one who would be born to a Hebrew woman but raised in the courts of Pharaoh, he would be someone who would be called to mediate. And later we'll hear more about that in the month. But this one, at this time, had some work to do. It wasn't so much the work on the outside of his life. It wasn't that he didn't have the right education or the right background or the right training. It was something about what was happening on the inside of his heart. And so often the work that God wants to do and the people of God in certain times and places, particularly when they find themselves in places like the wilderness, is to work on the inside of the heart to move them to a different kind of a place or a frame or an understanding or a perception of themselves and more importantly of God. The Genesis 3 story, or the Exodus 3 story, moves us into the place where Moses now has acted and done something that really wasn't very good for his own well-being back in Egypt. And so he had to flee to a land of Midian. And there in a faraway place, he falls in love and he begins to become a shepherd. And for a long time, we don't know exactly how long, he is there working in the fields. But note this. Our text will say, 
He took some time to reflect a little bit. He's in a wilderness. On the far side of the wilderness, on the side of a mountain, looking after some sheep. When God shows up and God speaks to him through a bush that burns, but never burns up. And there was Moses in this place in the wilderness. And God gives him a task, and he says, as God wants all of us to understand, God is at work in the world. God is at work in his creation. God is at work doing redemptive things, and he's inviting you and me to participate each day and each moment, whether I realize it or connect or understand fully what is going God. God is inviting you and I to participate in the wondrous work of redemption, the story again and again that we're called into. And God calls this one from the tribe of Levi, into his work. And he says, go. Go back to Egypt. Go back to the place where maybe your reputation has taken a little bit of a knock. Go back to the place where you were from. Go back to the place, and I want you to lead my people. Maybe a million people, maybe a million and a half, maybe even more than that. We aren't exactly sure. I want you to lead my, I want you to participate and, and willingly go and lead my people. Now, this is not much different than someone coming to you or I and saying, I've got a job for you. I'm going to send you to Ottawa. You're going to fix some things. There's been some problems there. A few of us in Alberta have noticed it for a while, and it's your job to fix it. We'll give you six months, and then you'll be back here, and everything should be cleaned up. It's not much different than that. It was an enormous task of what he'd been asked to do. It was a task of unbelievable magnitude. It was a task that someone with his kind of reputation that he'd soiled in some way should not be going back to do. But God, the living God, had asked him to go. He was sending him. And the task would involve bringing the people out of Egypt and bringing them back to this mountain. Horab, which would later be known in the story in the book of Exodus as Sinai, the place where they would come to worship the Lord and encounter God in their own way. But it all happened through a series of conversations, a dialogue in the wilderness. A conversation where five different times, and we'll pay attention to that for a few moments here, five different times Moses offers a hesitation or an excuse or an awareness of his own self and his own ability or the circumstances around him. Listen, what am I going to say to these people? They won't believe me. Listen, they won't trust me. Listen, they won't believe and understand that this God, who is this God that actually sent you to take us out of Egypt? Really? And then the one that maybe touches closer to some of us is, Listen, I have limitations. I'm unable. Do you know who I am? Do you know what I do you know how many times I fail? Do you know how much I stumble on words? Do you under God, do you finally, the fifth time, was the simple request, the humble request of I would imagine maybe someone who's beaten up, distraught, overwhelmed with who he is. Simply saying, Please, Lord, please send somebody else. The wilderness has, has something, that it, or the wilderness does something within us at times. It seems to expose our inner beings. If we stay long enough in the wilderness and we lean into the conversation, we become attentive to what God may or be saying to us. All of a sudden, out of the cracks of the ground, something becomes exposed, and we begin to see ourselves in ways that sometimes we don't like, we don't prefer. If I was to let you in a little bit into my own story, my own life, I would say this. A good part of my 30s, and probably into the beginning of my 40s, 
in here was a time where I was always struggling with who I was and what I was doing and what I was accomplishing and what I wasn't accomplishing. My wife would tell you that there'd be times where she can recall me many times in the middle of the night with hands in the head. It wasn't really a glorious pose. It wasn't like I was calling on God and asking for some mighty work of God in the land or in the people that I was caring for. I was a pastor for a number of years. It was a posture of failure. It was a posture of beating myself up. One time she found me in the closet in our bedroom in the middle of the night crying, sobbing, no idea why, I, well, I do know why I was there because I felt beaten up. I felt like I wanted to hide. I felt like I didn't want to get out of the bedroom, out of the closet. The wilderness does something when we're attentive to it because there sometimes in the wilderness we see ourselves for who we think we are, limited, unable people to live into the moment of what God may inviting us to do. The wilderness is that which is beneath the inner part of our lives. The losses, the griefs, the limitations, the insecurities, the pains. About a year ago, I sat down with a beautiful lady who was into her 90s. She was on her second uh, marriage, married to my father, who was about to pass away in a few short months. She'd been married to him for about 10 years, and I realized I didn't know her very well. And so I began to ask questions about her early days on the farm just south of Edmonton. As I sat down, I asked a question, a simple question that I thought was just kind of a curiosity question. And it went like this. Tell me about what it was like for you in the early days when you were a little girl on the farm. And she began a story, which I'm not going to tell you, but she began with this phrase. Well, my mother always called me the stupid one. Now, my first thought was, oh, my goodness, I had no idea. And then she began to unravel the story bit by bit of how she felt about herself and how she saw herself. And here she was at the age of 90, 91 or so in her life, looking back all the way to when she was a little girl of 12 or 14 or 15, and she saw herself as someone who was hindered, unable, not like her sisters, not living up to those who were a little bit able to go further along the way. It's amazing what happens in the wilderness and the desert of our own hearts. What gets exposed? One of my joys and privileges that I have again and again is to be walking alongside young students who are considering, reflecting, beginning a journey and heading towards ministry. And sometimes I teach a class, usually in the winter session. It's a class about preaching, communication. Preaching is a kind of a funny thing. Because it's a whole lot more than just beginning to understand how to work through this, especially when you're beginning. It's all about yourself at times. And I can tell you that again and again as I teach this class, I often will see often young women who don't believe that they have a gifting, an ability. I often see them begin. And in my class, they'll preach three times. And in January, they'll preach a message. And somewhere in late February or maybe the beginning of March, they'll preach a message. And then in the month of April, they'll preach the third message. And in each of those messages, you begin to see something sprout and grow and build. And I will suggest to you that some of the best preachers that go through Ambrose are the young women. And I watch. And I see something that they don't see in themselves. 
I see that they don't have a belief because they haven't seen themselves or women very often on a stage like this holding the word of God in their hand and preaching it. They don't see their ability to articulate. They don't see the rigor that they bring to the text and their ability to come bring something out and expose it as God would speak to them in and through the text and then teach us into the class. Not too long ago, as I sat there with my long list marking students as they preached their sermons, one young girl preached her third sermon. It's a sermon about the woman who offered perfume on Jesus' feet and washed, it with her, washed his feet with her hair. I have to admit to you, in that sermon, as I watched what was happening, what was being exposed in this young woman that I didn't know, but I began to see had this glorious gift and this ability to articulate, there was a tremendous amount of emotion in me as I watched her teach us in the class. At a certain point, I had to take my page and turn it over and just receive what God was doing. Sometimes in the wilderness, all we can see is our broken, false selves. The insecure self, the self of the failures back in Egypt where we tried and we did something in our own strength, in our own ability, in our own power, and we weren't able to do that. Sometimes in the wilderness, all we see is the fact that we are now 55 years old, our kids have grown up, and we don't know our place in this world. Our husband has a job, but this is a whole new place. Some might call it a season. I call it a wilderness, maybe. Sometimes we find ourselves coming to a place, maybe it's a church, or maybe it's to a new city like Calgary, or maybe it's to a new country like Canada, and we find ourselves and we go, I don't know what it is, but ever since I've been here, I don't, I'm off. I don't belong. People don't know me. They don't know my jokes. They don't get the understanding. They don't appreciate the food that we eat in our home. They don't seem to understand. I used to belong there. I used to be able to have a place where I did that. Here, it's different. I feel like, I feel like I'm in a wilderness. in these places that the living God begins to move. And the most important part of this text that we looked at comes at this point. It's not just Moses here that uh, we're pondering. It's the living God who speaks to Moses through the burning bush. Two things I want us to particularly pay attention to. The one is in verse 12 where God says to Moses, I will be with you. I will be with you. The living God, the God of all creation, the God Almighty, the God who created Moses, I will be the one who will be with you for this task. I will walk alongside you. I will walk in front of you and behind you. I will be with you, God says to Moses. And secondly, God reveals his name. I am who I am. And this will the name, be the name that you will know me through all generations. Now, two things happen. At least when God reveals his name. The first is the uniqueness of what is happening. God is saying, listen, I am unlike any of the other gods, the Canaanite gods that you will soon discover. I am unlike the Egyptian gods that you know about now. Later down the storyline, I'm unlike the Assyrian or the Babylonian gods. I am unique. I have a name. Some of you have a name. People who know me as Ricky are two groups of people. They're either my brothers or I went to school with them a long time ago. A name means something. The second thing that's fundamentally important is the relational element that is happening here in verse 14 when God reveals to this man, Moses, his name. 
I am who I am. I am unique and I'm almighty and I'm holy. I am my glory is my own. I will not give it to another. But there is an element where God is saying, listen, I am revealing myself to you, Moses, in relationship. Fundamentally, the Christian experience, the spiritual formation experience is an experience of revelation and the provision of God who walks with us. The person of God and the witness of God in our life. There in the wilderness, on the far side of the desert, while Moses was tending flock, thinking that maybe his life was done, maybe this was his experience, his lot, his, his, what he was about to be called to do, is just to tend these sheep. There, there God would meet Moses through a burning bush, a bush that would burn, and God would speak to Moses and reveal his name and offer his provision to Moses. In so many ways, this is the essence of the Christian journey. This is why we come back, whether you're 58 like me, or 15, or 28, or 72. This is why we come back to these foundation stories, because again and again, what is happening here is we come back to encounter the living God in our own situation, in our own stories, in our own places, and we ask ourselves, God, are you truly with me in this moment, in this place? And we might say this. We could bring it all down to a simple question. Maybe it's an oversimplification, but I'm not so sure if it's not too far off at the heart of what's happening here in chapter 3 and 4. And the question is this. Will you, in this place that you find yourself right now, will you trust me? Even though you don't know what will happen when you go back to Egypt, even though you don't know what happened when you confront Pharaoh, even though you don't know how the people respond, even though you don't know the results of this task, even though you don't understand what's going to happen next as you care for your, for your diminishing spouse, even though you don't know what this season of your life is as a 55-year-old woman whose children are now left at home, even though you don't understand what's happening at your workplace, even though you don't, will you trust me? Will you come and realize that in this moment, in this place, that what I'm asking you is I'm giving you myself, the living God says, and inviting you to trust simply me. I would like to say, but God, not only could you send someone else, but if I have to go, could you just give me a few more insurances? Can you give me a snapshot, a picture? Can you give me a glimpse of how this is all going to turn it out? What's, what's my legacy going to look like? And all those kind of, that is not what is at stake here. What's at stake here is simply Moses' response to the living God who reveals himself and decides and discerns if he will trust God. I can't imagine in a room like this, those who would be online, I can't imagine all the various scenarios that we would find ourselves in. The places in our life, the wilderness places, the places of pondering, the places of questioning, the places of what lies ahead when we get to the fall, the places of what are we going to do when we're invited to do something that's maybe a little bit going to stretch us into a new area of life and ministry or family or responsibility or task. A place that maybe we find ourselves where we're weakened, where we aren't as able as we used to be where we're trying to find our place in this new ground that seems to be uneven and we always feel off. It's in the midst of these places that the living God comes to meet us, comes to meet me, and simply comes and says, Rick, maybe even he says, Ricky, 
Will you trust me? You know me now through my son, Jesus Christ. You know me now as father. You know me now as the one who has come, and I've invited you to participate in my role and my work in this world. I'm inviting you to live in my life and invite you to continue to learn how to be faithful in this story, this good and beautiful story that you are a part of. Will you come and trust me now at this point? I find myself all through my journey coming back to that very question. Coming back to that question as I look at various stages, various places, various moments, various times when I think I understand, and then God says, no, Rick, I don't, I don't think you fully grasp what's going on. I just want you to trust me right now. Could it be simply in the middle of summer before we creep too close to fall? That in this time and in this place, God simply is extending his invitation to you and to me to trust. I invite you as you ponder and reflect on whatever things have gone through your mind in these last few moments, that you would simply take a few quiet moments and respond silently in your own heart. And when you're done, or in a few moments, I'd like to close the service by offering a reading or a benediction, as we always do here at Southview. A benediction by reading the 23rd Psalm. On most Sunday mornings for the last seven or eight years, I get up and I read the 23rd Psalm. And I sit with it, and I ponder it, and I sit with the living God, and I hold on to the truths that are there. So the question is, will you trust me? Let's take a moment to quietly respond. And receive these words from the Lord as I change the tense of the reading just slightly. The Lord is your shepherd, and you lack nothing. He brings you to green pastures to lie down, and he leads you beside quiet waters to refresh your soul. He guides you along the right paths for his name's sake. And even though you and I may walk through dark valleys, we need not fear evil, for the living God is with us, and his rod and his staff, they give comfort. The God would say to us, and I prepare a table for you in the presence of your enemies. I anoint your head with oil, and your cup will overflow. And surely your goodness, my goodness, and love faithful love will follow you all the days of your life and you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. May God bless you as you go in to the rest of the weekend.